Welcome to the Waymaker Fireside Chat Podcast, where our purpose is to grow your life and change the world. In this episode, we sit down with Isaac Keys. Lewis Carr is the founder of Waymaker, the Lewis Carr Internship Foundation, the Blueprint Men's Summit, president of media sales at BET Networks, and author of Dirty Little Secrets. Isaac Keys is a former American football player turned actor who appears in the highly acclaimed stars drama series Power Book 4, Force. Today, he'll discuss his upbringing, how he got into acting, and his career moving forward. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Lewis Carr. I am the founder of Waymaker, and on today's Waymaker Fireside Chat, we have the privilege of having Power Book 4 star, Isaac Keys. Welcome, Isaac. Hey, man, thank you for having me. I appreciate you, Lewis, man. I'm excited to be here and be the talk of Waymaker, for sure. So, 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 Isaac, can, can I call you Ike, or do you rather be preferred to as Diamond? Which one we gonna do, do today? All right. Right now, you're interviewing Ike, uh, but we'll talk about Diamond. Let's do that. All right, Ike. <laughs> oh man, uh, very excited about it. Congratulations on being part of Fifties uh, uh, Next Series. Uh, it, I've watched the first two episodes. I'm, I'm in. I'm all caught up in it, and uh, as I can say. We talked before we got on. You are an evolving character. We just put it that way. Hey. <laughs> yeah, man. I think that is the key word right now. And I think that it's just been exciting, man, to be on this journey uh, that 50 and Courtney Kemp and everybody at Power and Stars has, have, you know, just kind of put together. I mean, they call it the Power Universe for a reason because it's really literally just that. Yeah. That's great. Well, you know, you've had an exciting journey yourself. You're, you're from St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah. Uh, you went to the iconic Morehouse College in Atlanta. Come on. Uh, you played football there. And then you got that real special experience that people, a lot of people don't get. You played in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, so I want the audience to get to know the Ike side of you versus the diamond side of you. Okay. So uh, sort of tell us about your experience in St. Louis and growing up there and how you ended up at Morehouse College. Sure. Um, you know, St. Louis being a Midwest city, it's kind of like, you know, um, it's just like it was an experience that, you know, it's kind of like black and white, I guess you could say. You know what I mean? If I said that and I say that because, you know, as you go into the character of Diamond in Chicago, you understand also the divisions of the city and how there's different sides. Um, but going up to St. Louis, man, is was, was, was experience that where I feel like I got the best of both worlds. My parents did a great job of, you know, kind of raising me in a place to where they wanted me to be diverse, but also had a lot of family that was in the inner city of St. Louis. So, you know, it was like I experienced everything. I experienced poverty, but I also experienced being able to have certain things that other people didn't have. And to me, I helped that. I think that made me a more well-rounded person. You know what I mean? I, I used to get, you know, sometimes I get teased when I go down with my cousins in the city. I man, you talk like no white boys. You know, you talk like, like being from the county, you know? So it's like, but at the same time, they took me as like a brother from cousins that also took me around the neighborhood and had me box every kid in the neighborhood just to kind of, it was like a, you know, a tough, a, a, like a rite of passage in a way. Uh, and I always cherished that. So going up to St. Louis gave me a, a great experience of just diversity and well-roundedness and, you know, playing sports in that city, which St. Louis has a lot of, is prominent for sports as well, from football to basketball. Um, that led me later on is that also gave me the, 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 the mindset is that I always wanted more. I wasn't content to where I was at and I didn't want to be a product of my environment of just being in that city. And I, I thank my father for that because he always wanted us to travel. We always took summer trips. 
he always wanted me to be able to be a type of person where he said, if you can have a conversation, he said, the more you know, the more you can have a conversation with anyone because you're just about being nice. So we go to Nashville. I'm like, what are we going to Nashville for? He's like, because I like country music, boy. That's why we go to Nashville. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. But now I talk to people about Opperland. I talk to people about Nashville and experience I had there. And, you know, I tried to convey that to my little cousin who was, you know, growing up in the inner city of St. Louis. I wanted him to see other places. And once he saw that, he became like, you know, a person that I was like, okay, I'm raising up to become better because he saw something different outside his neighborhood. And I think that's very important. So I think, you know, to keep going with your question, that led me to going to, to Morehouse. And, you know, Morehouse gave me a sense of, of pride and as being a black man, a sense of being around people that were better than me and a sense of making me greater. So more of the competition of seeing people striving to from all across the world, everywhere, you know, going to this one school to all be trying to, you know, become a better person and develop a career path. And that gave me a sense of community and family. And I think that's important. That's why I give a lot of, you know, praise to HBCUs. So was it always your intent to go to an HBCU uh, <laughs> growing up or uh, was it your intent to just go to college, period? Tell us about that. I think initially it was my father's intent. And I I, okay. he, <laughs> I have an older sister and he wanted her to go to HBCU. And she just like, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We, <laughs> she's like, mm, you know, and so she decided a different route. Uh, when I came out of school, I originally wanted to go to Grambling State. I wanted to go to Grambling State. Um, I wasn't getting recruited for football. I was played out of position. So I was like, but I still want to play. And I remember a coach telling me, he said, walk-ons, they treat them like shit. You shouldn't be a walk-on. I was like, well, I don't really have a choice. <laughs> so, you know, you know, at this moment, so I want to go to Grambling State. I called Grambling State. Grambling State, the football department said, yeah, well, okay, well, come out come out when, uh, when school starts. I said, wait a minute. That don't sound right because football football camp starts you know early late July early August you know what I mean so that don't sound right y'all trying to y'all trying to trick me <laughs> so um, initially so that from that point I went to the University of North Alabama because my best friend was going there and I just you know the camaraderie they invited me in as a walk on sent me letters I felt I felt wanted there but the college experience which wasn't there I didn't feel that sense of community I didn't feel that so from that point on I went back to where. My father showed me that original pamphlet of Morehouse, and I, I applied, and I got in, man. So at that point on, it just it took off from there. So Morehouse wasn't initially the first choice. came the second choice, but it's, it's the best choice. Now, I, I got read where you, you, you boxed, <laughs> you played baseball. Yeah. And they say you was pretty good at baseball. Yeah. Uh, and so how did you decide on football? <laughs> That's a great question. I, I haven't been asked that question. Um, <laughs> Baseball was my first sport, and I was I was I was really good. And I started playing when I was five, and uh, I was always kind of playing up or playing on a select team or travel team. Um, and my father was like, I keep going. My father, he was so supportive, and he loved he, he loved me in baseball. But he was so supportive at a, a place where it was kind of almost pushy in a sense. And being a young kid, it kind of weighed on my self confidence because it was like I wanted to please him. And I wanted to please everybody around me. So, you know, in baseball, if you know the thing about baseball, which I know you do, baseball is a place you can be seeing the ball and hitting the ball and playing well, then all of a sudden you're going to a slump. Right. And so it plays on your mental capacity. And at a young age, you don't have necessarily the mental tools to deal with that. So you need a good support. And, you know, and it just kind of caused a rift. So going through that with baseball, those different ways and not necessarily feeling self, you know, confident in it, even though how good I was, I got burnt out on it. I got burnt out because I was playing on two different teams 
you know, like uh, fall, spring, you know, two different teams and then going to high school, I got burnt out on and football was kind of like my escape. It was like I could run and, and think about football as an outlet. If I'm having a bad day, I'm going to hit you harder that day. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, if I'm, if I'm going through something, I, we're going to run. It's going to run out of me. It's going. It was an outlet. It was a, a place of therapy, I felt like, to me. And it, that was the place that I wanted to be at because I felt more at home. Now, granted, I wasn't, you know, getting the scholarships. I wasn't the best athlete at it at the time, but it just made me want to work harder. And that's what I, I think I continued to develop that work ethic is because I just knew – I had to be twice as better, twice as good than any of the other people. So you, you, you're down in Atlanta uh, at the iconic uh, Morehouse College. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got Spelman close to you. You know, it's warm most of the time. So tell us about that experience. Was it the typical athlete experience in the ATL you know, or uh, were you very studious at that time, right? You know, what we lacked in, like, you know, necessary athletic facilities, we gained in the camaraderie and the, the people, as you can say, <laughs> of the Atlanta <laughs> University Center. I used to have friends come visit me from Division One schools. They play in football, Division One schools, you know, big time. They come down and they, they just look at me and they say, hey, man, how do you go to school here? <laughs> like, how, how, how do you survive? And I said, well... <laughs> Not not many do, because the first thing they tell you when you get to Morehouse, they say, look at your left, look at your right. One of these guys are not going to be here in the next semester. That's what they say, because of all the kind of sort of distractions in the, in the life. And it always, it's always a phrase that's funny, because they said, you'll see the Morehouse guy over at the Spelman Gate waiting for her to come out. But she's not coming out until she finishes her studies. While you waiting, you could have been doing your homework and your work, but she ain't coming out until she finished her work. So, you know, so it was always a thing, you know, so... It, it, it was a great experience because it was, like I said earlier, a sense of community, but it wasn't, it's like no other. You know what I mean? You're seeing a lot of people like yourself, but now you're learning, like, you know, how people from D.C. dress, what music they listen to, learn about go-go. You know, people from New York, when they come down, you know, it, the, the, the different accents. And that's different for me coming from St. Louis. You know, I didn't realize I had an accent from St. Louis until I got around other people. You know, like, uh, you know, so it was, it was, it, it just diversified me and gave me more culture. And I'm greatly appreciated for that. So what are some of the things you learned uh, at Morehouse that you sort of have kept with you to today? What are that some of those things that, you know, just, hey, it, it stuck yeah. with you? Yeah. Well, you know, Morehouse, they deem it as, you know, academic college. And I'm like, yeah. But as we know, as we get older, the books don't stay with you. What stayed, what stuck with me is learning how to network, learning how to make something out of nothing. Uh, those are two key things, I think, that help give me the perseverance and the drive. I say that in the sense that, you know, when you go to HBCU, anybody went there, you know, especially back when I was going, you have to learn that that line for the, the registrar's office to get in there the rest of your classes will be wrapped around the building. And you, I'm looking at that line like, I'm not waiting in that line. So I learned how to network by, you know, find a way to get into the building without waiting in line. Oh, I need you to the restroom or something. I go in there and find a way to go to the front office. And what I did is I I would kind of look and I would see who's in who's the registered office. And them ladies be angry. They be mad because they don't have the information. They're not giving them the information sometimes about how to deal with all this that's going on. So I remember finding, seeing a young lady at the front, the gatekeeper, and I realized she drank Diet Coke. And I said, let me go find a Diet Coke. <laughs> I went and found a Diet Coke. I came in, I said, excuse me, how you doing? 
you know, my name is Isaac, but I just wanted to, you know, give you this, you know, because I see that you drink that. She smiled at me and said, boy, what you want? <laughs> I said, well, I'm having some problems with my registration and this time. And then she said, go sit over there. And she made me sit over there. And once I sat over there, I became friends with everybody in that office. And when I came that, now they're all my Morehouse moms. And, you know what I'm saying, they helped me from the remainder of that time, from that first day, all the way through graduation, they've been by my side and they helped me. And even now, they're still my Morehouse moms. So that was part of the networking and building relationships that I felt that was very important outside of the books, you know, like that. And then making something out of nothing. A lot of times, you know, you don't have the things that, you know, that you necessarily need, but you got to find a way. You got to find a way to get that that class done. You know, I was going to school. Everybody didn't have a, a laptop or a computer. So you had to go talk to your friend down the hall. It's like, hey, man, can I use your computer from this amount of time, you know, to, to make that paperwork? So I think that was important. I think that's what builds character. And I think, I, you know, that it helped me. That's great. So you leave Morehouse and, and you have this great privilege of going to a place where a lot of people don't go and they call that the NFL. All right. Yeah. Uh, and you uh, landed with the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. And uh, tell us about, you know, being a rookie in the NFL. You know, we, we've watched the series Hard Knocks and, and all the things and what they do to rookies. Is that true? T- tell us about that rookie experience in the NFL. I love that they made Hard Knocks. And it was after I had already been in the league, but it helped everybody outside of it. My parents, including including my parents, and other people understand the hardships of being a rookie and, and, how, and what we're going to NFL. And now it's a lot easier. Like, you know, back when I was playing, it was about who's the toughest, who can, you know, who can last in tough situations. That's how you, that's football was built. Um, so I remember it was times where, you know, as a rookie, they'd be like, okay, we're getting lunch. And they'd be like, okay, keys, get up there and sing, you know, sing a song. They didn't know that I like to get up there and sing. So I'm like, all right, okay. I get up there and, and make a whole performance. And I guess that's where acting kind of came into play. I had, uh-huh. I had teammates that would literally, get their food and go to their room because they didn't want to get called. They had that much anxiety that they didn't want to get called out on singing a song. And, you know, so I made a game out of it. it was, I didn't care. Call on me. You know, so that was a couple of things. And then I think, you know, some of the biggest things is I learned to keep my eyes and ears open and just listen. You know, when I first got to that Minnesota locker room, I'm seeing Chris Carter. I'm seeing Jake Reed. I'm seeing Randy Moss, Dante Culpepper. And I'm sitting here looking like, this ain't Morehouse. <laughs> like, this ain't Morehouse anymore. And, you know, I remember a time where they was like, I was like looking, I need some gloves. And they was like, go in there and ask for some gloves. I said, no, nah, you know, I'm okay. They say, hey, go in there and ask for some gloves. You can get a pair of gloves every day if you want to. I said, I'm used to Morehouse. I wear my own gloves for the whole season. For the whole season. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I like, you know, so it was like, it was being a rookie, but it was, it was learning from the vets, man. And they took me under their wing and allowed me to, you know, kind of flourish and to learn. And that's really what I need to do because it was a it was a huge learning curve for me because I switched from defensive end to linebacker and they threw me right into the fire quickly in practice and I really didn't know what the hell I was doing from the linebacker perspective. But over time, you know, I was able to develop and I appreciate them giving me you know some time to be able to do that. And uh, uh, how many years were you, were you with the Vikings? I was with the Vikings for a year and a half. I got released my uh, the second second season because I was hurt. Um, so I battled injury the first two years, but honestly, I was hurt before I went in. Like I had dislocated shoulder my senior year in college and I just rehabbed and prayed, prayed that, you know, I can get on a team and show them I could, you know, my worth and they would 
put me on IR, you know, and they put me on IR at this point. Um, and that at that point, you know, it, it gave me a lot of time to, to learn and grow. And then kind of, you know, after that, I was just, you know, working for a position. It's it's tough in the league, man. The NFL stands not for long. And, you know, we get all the stories for the guys that have been in it for, you know, the, the, the guys that have been making the big money and playing. But them, them, them gridiron, gridiron vets, them guys run down on kickoff and, and the special teams and trying to find a niche in life, like it, it kind of gives you a place of instability. But you just – it's a love and a passion for the game, man, that just takes you to, you know, to another level. That's the reason why you stick around. Tell us about that that, that emotional journey – like when you get hurt after you've done all the work and put all the time and made all the sacrifices and then you're hurt. <laughs> Tell us about that emotional journey of from when it happens and trying to rehab back. You know, I don't think any player goes out there at that age thinking about getting hurt. They know it's part of the game, but you don't think about Because if you think about getting hurt, then you're not playing at your full speed or your full potential. You're holding back. So when it actually happens, it's a surprise. You don't know what it you know, necessarily is. It's like, oh, okay, but you feel something different. Your brain starts talking to you. So the actual feeling of getting hurt, you don't necessarily think about it at the beginning, but when it happens, that's when it, everything changes and you just hope it's not that bad. From that point on, you know, once you realize you're hurt, it becomes very, uh, it's, it's more, it's more, it's more, it's mental and physically because you want to get back to playing. You don't know if you will be able to, but, you know, you, you're trying to get back and then you feel like everyone's looking at you like, well, when are you going to get back? Or you always hurt or, you know, what's going on or, you know, are you, ex you know, expendable? So the mental part of it really kind of drives you to places at that point to where, you know, of disparity. You just kind of like feeling like what I can do. And then as you mature, you realize it's, it really is part of the game. And if I get hurt, I get hurt. I just got to deal with it. And that's when it starts to come into the maturity of life. And I think those things transfer over into life because it's like you're going to have obstacles. You're going to have challenges. But it's how do you deal with them once you have these obstacles and challenges? Do you have the tools to be able to, to deal with those, to support group, whatever it may be, and the mental capacity to be like, okay, you know, I'm hurt, but I'll be back. Or, you know, I'm just coming back in a different way. So, so you, you you go from the Vikings to the Cardinals, and how was that experience at the Cardinals? I was evidently I was a Denny Green guy, man. May he rest in peace. You know, uh, Denny Green was the type of coach that he wanted to bring people up, and he saw things and and players and coaches. He saw things that he he would attach himself to him. Like, okay, I see something in him, so let me bring them up. Whether it's hiring a, new, a coach and especially a, a person of color. A lot of his coaching staff, he, he brought in a lot of minorities and he came from, you know, great coaches. So even as a player, I remember when I signed with this free agent with the Vikings at first, seeing him walk out there with his high socks on and his, and his you know, his swagger. And he said, hey, Keith, we signed into a free agent contract. And I remember that. So later on, I was going through my trial and tribulation where I got released by the, the Vikings. Uh, then Green Bay picked me up and they put me in the NFL Europe and then brought me back. And I was at Green Bay training camp. They had drafted five linebackers while I was over in NFL Europe. I'm like, what the hell are we doing? Why am I here right now? You know, you drafted five linebackers. They kept me all the way through preseason. I'm like, release me so I can go somewhere else. Kept me all the way through preseason. So they released me at the end of preseason. I mean, Green Bay is a great organization, but that was one city that I felt is like, you know, hey, it's okay if y'all release me right now because it's such a small city in a sense. But um, so I was searching, man, and I saw that Denny Green had signed with the Arizona Cards as a head coach. I called my old linebacker coach and I said, hey, I need a job. What's that, you know, what can we do? 
And he he he, he kind of got a little sad. He said, "Well, yeah, yeah, yeah." He, he, he talked Richard Sol- His name is Richard Solomon. He said, "Well, Keys, you know, you, 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 the word on the street is you 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 can't get your playbook right." You know, yeah. I said, "Coach, I'm good. I get my playbook right. You know, you know, I, you know who I am. You know what I'm about." All right, Keith, well, I'm going to see if I can get you a workout. <laughs> so, you know, he was about, yeah, I, I, love, I love him because he was he played an instrumental part in my maturation in the game. And he got me a workout with the Cardinals. And I signed, and I spent three years there. And that was, like, part of the best part of my, my career, I believe, of just being able to play a lot more and just the, the players that I played with. That's great. Now, you, you, you've done – Another special thing, clearly, you like challenges, man. So you, you, you know, the NFL is a challenge, and then you, you you're yeah. going into acting, all right. I'm like, so I guess you said, okay, that's that that that's not a big enough challenge. So let me try to get into this field that everybody wants to be in, but very few people get the opportunity. So you go into acting. Tell us, how did you make yeah. that decision? Out of all the things in the world you could do, you could have been a sportcaster, you could have been coaching, you know, those are more relatable fields, but you wanted to get in front of a camera. Louis, I, I, sometimes I ask myself that same thing. I look back on my life and I'd be like, well, how did you do that? <laughs> and <laughs> acting, I, I, some people say, well, did you take too many hits in the head or something? Well, why'd, you, why'd you choose acting? And I was like, I was at a point in my life, man, that football had left me. You know, and I say that I didn't I didn't leave football. Football left me. It was a time where the career was over with and I'm 30 years old and I'm like, I'm young. But they like, no, well, that's kind of old in football because we got guys coming in as 23. I didn't know what the hell I was going to do with my life. And I was looking for the new passion. And a lot of players and a lot of I say players speaking from that perspective, but a lot of people reach a point of where they have to pivot in their life and make a transition. And they don't realize, you know, that's why now mental health has become so big because that is – it involves a lot of mental health. People go into depression. They have anxiety. They have all these different things that when I was pivoting, I didn't know about. I was just going through it. And it was a place of where I needed to define what the hell I was passionate about and what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And I had experienced some things, you know, where I was in front of the camera. And by being in front of the camera, I felt comfortable. I felt like I was, you know, and I didn't realize most people didn't feel comfortable in front of the camera. I felt comfortable and I felt like I I wanted people to kind of get to know me. But I also felt like, you know, I still kind of like that limelight a little bit. I like the light being shined on me. Like, I, let's not get it twisted. You know what I'm saying? Let's not get it twisted. You leave one thing on the upper epsilon on this high level, you want that same kind of level somewhere else. You don't want to date down. You know what I mean? You want to date up. So um, I, I doing those things in front of the camera, it kind of, it, it inspired me. And I was starting completely over. I didn't have, I didn't have football money. I left the house that I had in Phoenix because, you know, it was upside down because at the time, that's when the market crashed. I went and stayed on my cousin's couch and I just worked. I got a commercial agent. I would go on auditions. I would crash auditions. I'd go to acting classes. I was trying to find money. I was getting a little money from wherever I could get it from and pay for acting classes and working out and just personal training. I was trying all these different things, man. And acting just felt like it was what I was supposed to be doing because I was just felt a passion. And I love the creativity of it. I love finding the authenticity of, you know, the character and telling the story. But it wasn't easy. As you said, man, I'm telling you, it was not easy at all. So I was doing a lot of things just to sustain and fund the dream. Um, I worked at a group home. I worked at a security guard for, for a few years. Um, and, 
I had, I mean, I did a lot of different things I could do to try to just, you know, keep sustained and fund that dream. And I just worked and worked and worked. And, you know, as God willing and the stars and moons aligned, it allowed me to be in some positions to get some roles that now, you know, can say I'm a working actor. Well, what do you think that you learned in football and at Morehouse that gave you that sustainability, that gave you, as uh, Mayor Harold Washington used to say, which is not a word, stick to itism. All right, but I love it. It's not a real word, but I love it. Stick to itism. Yeah, that's, I love that question because it makes me think back and just of everything that I've been through and realize that it was the process that made me be able to handle all the things I went through from football, from Morehouse to the adversities of, you know, making sure I got up to go work out. And like we said, dealing with networking with people in the, in the retro's office and, you know, trying to make sure that I got, had my grades right and making to get the paper done, the discipline, the, the resiliency, all those different things, perseverance, the, you know, getting to know people and being able to communicate with them and talk and express myself in a manner that people could gravitate to me and say, you know what? I like that kid. You know what I mean? Those things that all come to play as my life progressed, I'm pulling from those things. So I'm pulling from all the the, the, the the attributes that I've been given from over life and I'm applying it to my life into every situation. And then it also goes into the characters that I play because one thing about acting is you have to have a lot of, the great actors have a lot of experiences in life because that's what you want to pull from. You want to be able to substitute things from your life into the character so that way it makes it more authentic. So as I'm playing Diamond Samson, I'm pulling things from my life or from people I've met or from you know places I've been and applying that to him, to how he is as a person, which I feel helps him make him, make him more authentic. And that's what I've been wanting to do with any character that I play. So life, man, everything I've done in life, and we talk about these interviews, it, it brings it all back to me. I'm like, wow, I did that. Oh, that's what I, okay, damn. You know what I'm saying? You say I like challenges. No, I didn't like challenges. I just, <laughs> just kept coming and I had to keep going because like we say, what? Success is based off the obstacles you overcome. So I'm already successful because there's been a lot of obstacles and so is so everybody, everyone else. So uh, a lot of people, I think you just showed up because you're in this hit series and 50 produces it and, you know, he's involved in it. But, you know, you you did a few things before Power Book 4, you know, Criminal Minds, uh, Get Shorty, uh, The Rookie. So you've been around the block a while. All right. Uh, And so how did it evolve into this real big role where you are right along with Tommy, the man? All right. Hey, man, I don't know what you're talking about, man. I'm an overnight success, baby. Look, right, you know what I, mean? I woke up. I woke up like this. You know what I mean? So, all right. Uh, no, man, you know, I have been around. You know, they always say it takes, you know, afraid to say in Hollywood, it takes 10 years to break. I've been out here 14 years now. And, you know, it's just been like, again, it's a process. And I would tell anyone out there, you may not always enjoy the process, but you got to go through it. And you got to try to find your moments in the process of where there is enjoyment in it. Um, and I think that everything, every show, every audition has prepared me to be at this place and, and this alignment. So this is for me. I deserve it. You know, being on Power Book 4 Force, I deserve it. What's for me is for me. And this is for me. And I'm embracing it and I'm grateful for it. So I'm grateful to be a part of this universe and this, this franchise that has, you know, 
taking over households and their televisions and and number one show on premium cable, may I add. So, you know, to be a part of this, but it's also, you know, a village, man, for us, like, you know, people that all said yes to Isaac playing Diamond. And I appreciate that. And I always get a shout out to Joseph Sikora, who plays Tommy, because, you know, without him, this this show wouldn't be be here. But also how he developed that character to be Tommy Egan and to bring all these fans on board. And it's like, I'm just piggybacking off what he's doing and just adding value to it. And I wanted to bring a character that could, that could you know, that can come up and give value to Tommy Egan. And, you know, and I feel like that's what I'm, I'm doing. That's my, that's my goal. So, you know, I, it hasn't been an overnight success. You know, I would love to say it has been, but it's been a journey, man. And, you know, I think what you say, life's a journey. So you got to, you know, make the best out of it. And that's what I feel like I'm doing. Isaac, we here at Waymaker, we believe that every successful person hmm. have had Waymakers in their life. Yeah. Talk about some of the Waymakers in your life. You talked about your dad, yeah. uh, so we know he was one. But who are some of the other people who saw something in you and really sort of intentionally help you get to the next level by doing one thing or the next? It's, that's a very long list, uh, but definitely starts with my parents. Um, and it starts with my sister as well. My sister has always been my number one fan and security guard <laughs> uh, from day one. You know, so I'm I'm I always had to give a shout out to my 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 family. My family has been my rock and my supporters, and they always said, "When nobody else is with you, we with you at all times." And I'm blessed to have that. So those are my number one waymakers for sure. If I kept going up from there, um, you know. I like to say, you know, in, in high school, I just I, I still have a great group of friends that a lot of people don't have. I have friends starting from kindergarten that are still my friends now. And, you know, we fought together. We, we've done a lot of things in life that probably shouldn't be here right now <laughs> at this point. But, you know, from there, I just know there's God willing. You know what I mean? That's God having my back and having our back and uh, keeping me going. So, you know, G.O.D. got to be a way maker for sure. Uh in college, I had uh, ultimate way maker. Yeah, the ultimate way more. In college, in Morehouse, um, one of the Morehouse moms, Jackie Davis, uh, she was uh, she's still my Morehouse mom today. And I've had a, a, a couple, and I love them all. But she's just kind of always been right there next to, next to me. You know, what I mean, just kind of guiding me as like Morehouse mom. And um, there, it was also a, a professor. It was a professor, Coach Wilson. I remember one time when I was in Morehouse, I was learning from other kids. They're like, yeah, you just go in and talk to the professor, man. You can, you, you know, they'll they just change your grade. I said, what? They'll change your grade. And he's like, yeah, man, you know, you just got to kind of get to know him like that. They kind of change the grade. I'm like, that sounds like some real finagling. So I tried it. <laughs> I tried it. I was not getting a good grade in one of my major classes. And um, I went to talk to him. His name is, uh, we call him Coach Wilson, but now he's a, he's a doctor, but we call him Coach Wilson. And I talked to him. He looked at me real stern. He said, he said, now, Isaac, what would I look like by changing your grade for you not doing the work that you're supposed to do? And how would that transform the rest of your life? I'm sitting there speechless. I had no rebuttal whatsoever. From that point on, it made me work harder. It made me, you know, want to do better. And it made me take responsibility for everything I do. And he's still in my life as well. And it's it's many others. All the coaches do more house. The athletic director, you know, when I say the sense of community, these are all family members to me. You know what I mean? So from there, then, I mean, when you play sports, man, the coaches all play a major part of your life. And I can't name all of them, but they just do because the lessons you learn, how they teach you, how they talk to you, you learn from that. 
And I mean, going on to now, it's just, you know, I mean, the way maker man now is, you know, is, I just look at it as to reverse it kind of is that the self-confidence and the desire and who I am, learning who I am and now is my way maker for me to get out my own way. And realize because a lot of times what we do is we get in our own way because of our own thoughts and our own, you know, sabotaging of ourselves. And once I realize I can get those out the way, then I feel like my way has been cleared a lot more. And that's important to me. So when when, when you look in, in the rearview mirror for a minute, mm-hmm. think back and give some advice to that 19, 20 year old Isaac Keys. Look in that rearview mirror and think about who you were then and who you are now. What do you wish you had known at that particular point in your life? That's a great question. Uh, that big, that big neck, big head kid, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I first say I'm proud of him. I say that because he had such a resilient, and I, I look back at that kid right now, and I'm like, I don't know how you did have the things that you did and survived a lot of things that you did. But as he is old, I would tell him to continue to learn who he is as a person and not to have to feel like he has to um, be someone who he's not and to be confident in who he is as a person. And the way he does that is by learning who he is, learn more about himself. So, you know, and that patience is a virtue. Like you need to be patient and understand the process is there for you to learn and to grow. I would tell him that and keep going, kid. Like just keep, keep going for what you want. Whatever you want, you can obtain. And if you don't attain and say what you want, it's going to lead you to something else that you deserve. I would tell them that. Great, great. One final question, man. Look forward and and, and, and let us look through, through your eyes and, and, and what do you see in your future? One year down the line, three years down the line, what are the type of things that you are trying to accomplish and you vision for yourself? And maybe somebody out there listening to this, Isaac, that say, I can help him with that. You know what I'm realizing, man, is that part of that, what I want is just to continue to be an inspiration to those who need to be inspired. Um, I want to show them that, you know, there's, that you, you things are attainable and that, you know, you can, you can overcome a lot of things to be where you want to be. Um, Career-wise, feature films. I want to be in feature films. I want to be in, you know, those. I want to still be on par before four, because you said three years. So that's, let's get the three seasons at least then, you know, let's just do that part. Um, legacy, man. You know, at some point where, you know, I, I want to build that, you know, family. And so you say if somebody can help me, then, you know, we'll find a young lady who can, who can, who can help me with that part. I'm sure you don't have no problems there, brother. I'm sure you don't have no problem. Uh, you know, but, you know, when I look at that, but, you know, financial stability, um, you know, take me sure my family's good. Those are all things that are important to me, family, legacy, uh, career. And I just want to continue to build and inspire and continue to be able to just do great work and be a better person, man. Continue to be a better person. Work on me. Wow. Well, man, we thank you for this. Uh, this has been a, a, a great insight in, into your background and sure. to all the transitions you've made and, and your journey towards success. Uh, we appreciate you sharing it with the Waymaker audience. And uh, we wish you uh, the very, very best, man, on Power Book 4. 
Uh, and uh, we hope you get three, four, five seasons out of it at the end of the day. And uh, we want to stay connected for you to work with the Waymaker family and also with the Blueprint Connect because uh, yeah. people need to hear from brothers like you. Sure. And they need to hear your journey. They need to be inspired by you and motivated to success just like you. So thank you so much for sharing your journey on the Waymaker Fireside Chat. Hey, thank you, Lewis. I appreciate you, man. And you're doing great things. And I, I'm glad to be part of this platform. And, you know, anything else you need, let me know. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for letting me share my story with you. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation between Lewis Carr and Isaac Keys. What did you enjoy about this episode? Let us know on our social media at Waymaker Culture. And don't forget to claim your first six months of the Waymaker Journal free at waymakerjournal.com. And be sure to enter the Waymaker giveaway by going to waymakercontest.com. Subscribe to the Waymaker Fireside Chat podcast to get notifications each time we release an episode. 